And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. Hey, it's great to be with you. Can you believe it? It is the end of the broadcast week already. And, uh, boy, it just seemed like we just started the week. Um, it's just time flies so quick now. Of course, when you're having fun, when you're doing apologetics, when you're defending the faith, like I said, there's nothing more exciting and doing that, learning more about God, and therefore giving more reasons for us to love God, uh, time flies. Time flies, folks. So we need to to use every second we have to our, you know, fully for the Lord. Let's put it that way. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to finish off the week strong. Had a fantastic week in our dojo. We're going to have Brian Topham come up on the other side of the break. And, uh, Brian, we're going to be talking about church authority now, as you know, Brian Topham is a convert from Church of Christ, which means that he, uh, I mean, Church of Christ is very, very interesting. It's a Reconstruction period church where basically they, they felt the scandal of the divisions within Protestantism. And so <clears throat> Stone Campbell movement decided to reconstruct Christianity from the pages of the New Testament. And uh, it's a very interesting project that they thought would unify Christianity together under the Bible. Because everybody, all the Protestant denominations would look at the sheer biblical clarity of the Church of Christ and see its purity and come streaming in and everybody would be part of one church yet again. However, all it did was form another denomination. But, you know, at the heart of it is the question of authority. Is the scriptures our final authority? Is it a blueprint, as it will, like the uh, Reconstructionists believed, for a reconstructing and rebuilding the church in its pristine purity as it was seen in the first century? Well, uh, as you can imagine, that's a very big issue, uh, especially for uh, those type of Protestants that follow Sola Scriptura, especially Church of Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about church authority. And by the way, Church of Christ does have a, a kind of uh, idea of church authority that's a little different than other denominations. So we'll, I'm sure we're going to explore that and many, many other things. So that's going to be a fascinating conversation with uh, with uh, Brian Topham. That's coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to sharpen our critical thinking skills with the Finding the Fallacy segment. But as you know, here on the show, every Friday... We switch things up. We do CrossFit training here. And so instead of looking at an informal fallacy, we're going to look at a propaganda technique. Today's propaganda technique is agenda setting. And we're also going to meet an early church father. And if you are a veteran to the show, you've been listening to it uh, for a little while, you already know quite a few early church fathers, their basic background and important writings and uh, which is awesome. It's a very important tool for uh, defending the faith. Today's early church father, by the way, is incredibly important and very influential for many non-Catholics coming into the church 
it is St. Irenaeus of Lyon. St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Very, very important witness to the early church. And so we got a huge, huge program set before us. But before we do that and get to the festivities, I want to welcome all of you to the show. So welcome aboard all of you listening on radio around the country. Also, all of you watching live stream, how are you doing? And lest I forget you podcast people, it's great having you on board. Thank you for watching and listening. And uh, as I always say, you know what? VirtualMostPowerfulRadio.org. That's the place to go. Because especially with apologetics, you know, uh, well, I mean, it's true for all the shows here. Because Virgin Most Powerful, you know, we don't treat the audience as wimps. Uh, We give you some high-level information. Sometimes uh, you need to hear it a couple of times to get all the details and subtleties. And that's why virtualmostpowerfulradio.org is so important because maybe uh, Brian Topham is going to be uh, talking about something you didn't quite follow or maybe you mentioned something you never heard of and you or you missed an important part of what he said. Or who knows, maybe you just can't listen to the whole program. Well, don't worry. You just go to virtualmostpowerfulradio.org and you can click on Hands on Apologetics or any of the other shows Virgin Most Powerful produces. And boom, you got them all there in archive form. You can watch them, you can listen to them, you can download them, you can do all sorts of stuff with them. And man, it's such a powerful, powerful tool. And I'm so glad that we have that website. And so use it. You know, it's powerful, it's free, it's easy to access. Please, you know, avail yourself of all the tools that Lord gives you. Um, also, I want to mention the Dojo Mailbox. If anybody would like to email me, the Sensei, hey, I'd love love to hear from you. It is questions at handsonapologetics.com. And that's the way you get hold of me. I do answer your emails. Okay, let's do our Finding the Fallacy. Like I said, it's Friday, and that means that we switch things up. And instead of looking at an informal fallacy, what we do is we look at a propaganda technique. Now, the difference between the two, let me explain an informal fallacy is a broken argument. There's something wrong with the argument. Maybe the conclusion doesn't follow from the premises, or or maybe there's some other difficulties in there. Um, uh, propaganda techniques are different because they don't even make arguments. They don't give evidence. Propaganda techniques work on the level of social manipulation. And this is why I do this every Friday, because we're being hammered by propaganda techniques over and over again. So you need to be able to identify it because when you identify it as somebody trying it on you, the influence, the the magic's gone, right? And so that's why I do this every Friday, just so you're aware of these manipulations that's out there that that doesn't really fit into an informal fallacy, but nevertheless, it is used a lot. And today's uh, propaganda technique is used a lot. It is called agenda setting. What's agenda setting? Well, agenda setting means that it speaks to the ability of, for example, news media to influence the importance placed on topics of the public agenda. If a news item is covered frequently and prominently, the audience will regard that issue as being more important than something that is hardly covered. And, man, this is so true. And I believe there's coordinated efforts to set the agenda, uh, not only political but religious, especially anti-religious, 
efforts. Uh, it just seems, in fact, we know people who have come out of the world of, uh, you know, media and so on who say, yeah, there is a coordinated effort. So this isn't just speculation. Um, so what it does is it takes certain news items and pl- and rep- over-reports it, over-emphasizes it. And by doing so, it gives the impression to the audience that this is more important than anything else. And it also, by the way, gives the impression that it happens, it's more prevalent than it really is. This, by the way, is also used with no popery history. Um, because, uh, for example, with the Inquisition, uh, the Inquisition myth started, really what it does is it, it reports abuses that took place in the Inquisition, but it so over-reports it and ignores other things that, uh, you know, like good things that happened with the Inquisition, that the impression is given that this whole institution was nothing but bad, nothing but abuse, which isn't true. So it's it's kind of cherry-picking, but what it does is it overemphasizes something which uh, so it appears to be far more important, far more prevalent, far more prominent than other items. And by the way, for you pro-lifers out there, you know this to be the fact. I mean, when we do um, the uh, March for Life on Washington, you look at the new major news outlets. If they even cover it, they would always have uh, something negative and pretty short. Right, is completely underemphasized. While some smaller event <coughs> that's rare for uh, for pro-abortion advocates, you know that that gets overreported. It's everywhere. There's lots of interviews, and it makes it feel. It gives the impression that this is the majority position. Okay, so beware of this. Like I said, with propaganda techniques, once you're aware that the propaganda technique is being used on you. Its power disappears. It no longer influences you. And by the way, you know what? Share this with friends. Tell people about this technique. And you could help protect not only yourself, but your loved ones and your friends as well. Let's meet our early church father for today. He was St. Irenaeus of Leon, very important early church father, especially in apologetics. St. Irenaeus is the second bishop of Leon, succeeding the martyred bishop of Pontius in the year 177 or 178 A.D., when he himself was perhaps about 37 years old. He was a native of Asia Minor, probably Smyrna, where in his youth he had been the pupil of uh, St. Polycarp of Smyrna. His passage of the Gaul, where he met an esteemed presbyter in the Church of Lyon immediately before his death, uh, immediately before the death of his Episcopal predecessor, is one of history's mysteries. We just don't know what was entailed in that. The exchange, uh, yeah. Uh, so continuing on, it's true his name means peacemaker, as Eusebius remarks. It was uh, Irenaeus who sought to make peace between Pope St. Victor I and Polycrates of Ephesus when Victor was threatening excommunication through the, of the latter. Uh, and after the incident about 190 AD, Irenaeus disappears from history and is presumed to be dead around the year 202 AD. And uh, we have a very important work of him against all heresies. And if you listen to the show, you know there is a lot of apologetic gold in that work. And that's our early church father for today, St. Irenaeus of Leon. Coming up next, Brian Topham. Go ahead and talk about church.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. Well, church authority is a very important issue, and many different non-Catholics have different views of church authority. And, uh, you know, there's a wide variety, including uh, one very interesting church called the Church of Christ, which is part of the Stone Campbell movement. And so what... How would a convert from Church of Christ view church authority different? And now as a Catholic, well, we're going to learn because we have our good friend Brian Topham with us. Brian, as you know, is a convert from Church of Christ, Methodism. And uh, he came into the Catholic Church, and now he has a fantastic ministry on YouTube that if you haven't checked it out, please do, folks. It's called Quest for Faith with Brian. And while you're there, subscribe, like, hit, hit the thumbs up, you know, bell and all that stuff. Let's uh, get other people tuned in because he, he does a great job examining all sorts of things regarding the faith. And uh, Brian Topham, welcome to Hand Thanks, on Gary. Projects. I appreciate you having me on again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost as if uh, we just talked a little while ago. Yeah, <laughs> which we did <laughs> for a brief moment. For a brief moment. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot briefer than both of us thought. Yeah, just to let all of you in, uh, I was subbing for El Cresta. We had Brian in for a segment. And, you know, we're used to talking three segments out of four right on this show. And both he and I, especially me, because I'm the host, I need to keep an eye on the clock. I didn't realize how quickly it went. So it was almost like, hi, Brian. Bye, Brian. <laughs> so it, it was all good. Was I, was, I really appreciate coming on. That was great. So yeah. it, it worked out. So, but uh, yeah, so church authority, this was. <laughs> um, this was an interesting topic for me because uh, I believed in zero church authority, period. Uh, now, um, especially when you're thinking about a structure in a physical church, right? Uh, the visible church on earth, right? Um, and uh, with Church of Christ, when I was growing up, uh, it was essentially each church had ran their own church. So, and they would elect elders um, usually every four years, and I don't know where they got that number from, but I, if I recollect it correctly, it was about every four years they would elect new elders or uh, just say, yeah, we still want the same guys to be elders. And it'd go through a whole process, and the church would vote on them, and then those elders would be the ones making um, really the bigger decisions, not necessarily theological decisions, Uh I kind of looked at them more as um, governing decisions, if that makes sense, uh, is, is the way I kind of felt felt about it growing up. And even as an adult, it wasn't necessarily they were saying, well, we got to believe this. It was more of how the church ran is what these el what most elders in Church of Christ do. Now, the preacher does have a lot to say as, as far as theology um, as, as the church goes. Um, but it's just interesting because with no connection between different Church of Christ, when you go in church shop, it's kind of shocking sometimes because you have to go for a bit to be like, oh, nope, this this church is off the rails. I need to go find another uh, Church of Christ. Um, and that, that would happen pretty regularly when you have to go church shopping in, in that manner. Yeah, so uh, Church of Christ believes that there is one visible church, right? So that's very different from Protestantism. Yet uh, you you have this autonomy that you have to church shop. That's that's an interesting. Yeah, it you know, doesn't how, how work. How do you put those two together? 
it doesn't work, and especially with uh, you know that they even um, I've seen Church of Christ churches say uh, the first century church like a little plaque outside their their church saying that um, because they do believe that they're following the exactly how the first century uh, uh, organized church did worship service and everything, which we know reading anything from the first century, you go, that's not how it worked. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because they do believe they are, they, they don't believe they're a new church. They believe they are the first church that they just refound it in the 1830s, mm-hmm. um, which is massively problematic. Uh, <laughs> we can dive in. That's another topic. I think we've hit on that before. Um, but it does bring this thing up with authority. Um, because it depends on what church you can go to. Um, they might be okay with one thing and then you go somewhere else and they're not okay with it. And I think it, it, it just, uh, breeds division, uh, eventually is what you end up happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. And again, that's really striking because the original Stone Campbell movement was an idea of unifying Christians together, right? That, Mm -hmm. Everyone would see the the biblical clarity uh, of uh, the Church of Christ, and, and all denominations would be abandoned, and people would come into the one denomination. Yep. Instead, it just became another denomination. Maybe the one Universal Catholic denomination. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, right. so for for me, uh, when we started looking into the Catholic Church, this wasn't this was something I was definitely concerned about. Um, it was a uh, I had to really work through it, and and once I started trying to really find like okay, what what was the church in the first century? What did it look like? And and being a good old uh, Church of Christ Bible thumping uh, raised kid, um, the first place I looked for was Scripture, and it just it kind of shocked me listening to the Catholic perspective on where the church is in Scripture, because it's everywhere. It's all over the place in Matthew. It's in Acts. You see it in all the um, uh, Paul's letters. Um, you see it in in James. It's just littered throughout the entire uh, New Testament scriptures. And it's kind of just funny that I don't. You just kind of glance over it, or you have this the weird perspective as a Church of Christ or Protestant that. Each of these churches they talk about, right, like the the Corinthians and the the church in Rome and the church in Jerusalem, were all independent and separate. But that's not what Scripture shows, and I think that that was kind of it. Shocks me that you can read the Bible and then come pull away with that conclusion. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Especially, um, I'm sure you ran across passages where it talks about church leaders having uh, authority, right? And that everyone's to follow their authority. You know, how would that square with the Bible as your authority? Right. And I think, um, I think a lot of times those verses are glossed over. Like they're there and we believe them, but we're not really going to define what that is. And um, yeah, there's church authority, but it's within each independent church. And it, it, they, like they kind of add language to it to make it fit their uh, their theology. They've kind of made up by uh, just using scripture and not thinking about tradition and apostolic succession and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the plain things are the main things, but you know it is pretty plain, but it isn't very main. 
you know. Yeah. In their yeah. technology. Yeah. So, uh, so tell, so why don't you, well, you could go anywhere you want, but I'm, I'm curious, like when you're looking at scripture and, and thinking about Catholicism, uh, what were your initial thoughts? Well, so one of the things that was always driving, even, even though I grew up church of Christ, I went to a Methodist church for about six years before I con converted to Catholicism. Um, and was, I still had this. I hadn't really seriously thought about a physical church, right? Like the, the whole um, invisible church on earth type deal, uh, which is probably more Lutheran, or is that more Calvin? That's probably more Calvin, right? With, yeah. uh, with you know, oh, you'll we'll we'll know if you're saved, and if you start sinning, that means you're you're not one of the elect, right? Right. Um, and so, it just kind of jumped out at me one day when I was reading Acts of of just the structure's right there. And Acts chapter one just starts spelling out the church and that it was a physical church and that it was a real church and it wasn't um, these independent, independent churches. And you look at even beginning of Acts in, in uh, uh, ver starting in verse 12, when what's the guy that replaces Ju um, Judas? Um, it's uh, Mathanatius. Matthias. Matthias, yeah. And it says that they voted him so he could take over Judah's bishopship. And it's like, wait, they're using the word bishop there. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And then you kind of fast forward three more verses and in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 15, when they're up in the upper room and Peter stands up to address all them, which is, wow, Peter's addressing all of them. And, and Luke puts in there that there was 120 uh, members in the upper room. And as a Protestant, I really always glanced over that. And I think most people don't understand the significance of the 120, but that actually was Jewish law to start a new organization. You had to have 120 members to actually start a, a, a new group. And so to do, I think it was uh, to do like a, a synagogue, it was 40 members, but to do a whole new organization, it had to be 120. And, um, and Steve Ray and I were talking about this on my channel uh, last month, and he pointed out that the um, the Senate in Israel has 120 members because they're going off Jewish law. And it's just <laughs> like this stuff starts spilling out when you start really diving into it, and it's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I love that point because I remember when Steve first made it, I thought, wow, I didn't know that, but boy, that makes a lot of sense, you know, why this – why – why did the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, have Luke put that number down? You know, why is that? In parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, it was almost like an afterthought. Like, he wrote it and then went, can we write 120 in there? Like, it was it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, which makes it even, it's like, hey, thank God that, uh, you know, he, he was thinking of us Gentiles, you know, thousands of years later that wouldn't get it. At least they left a clue, but it, it makes perfect sense to the original readers as well. And it makes sense to, you know, what exactly is going on in Pentecost. Yeah, yeah. And even with uh, with Peter being the Pope, uh, it's just so clear when you're reading that. Even the first uh, Council of Jerusalem, um, you know, a lot of people like to say that James was, oh, well, it looked like James was leading it. Well, James was the Bishop of Jerusalem, so it was kind of his role to summarize everything. But it was Peter that stands up and goes, no, this is what we're going to do. 
um, uh, and and then they send letters out to the rest of the church to let them know the decision they've made, which if they weren't connected, there would be no need to send letters out to the rest of the churches. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it'd be like one independent church sending a letter to another independent church. They probably would, you know, look at it, read it, and that'd be about it, right? Because they're autonomous. Yeah. And so I think, you know, even for for where we're at today and we're, you know, all the all the hoopla that's going on right now with the synod on synodality that's about to take place and people questioning church authority um, or, you know, what is this going to mean? Where do we have to go? I think then, then talking about infallibility and papal infallibility and the magisterium, um, understanding that is key. Uh, I think for any Catholic uh, right now. And, and so I think, you know, Looking at church authority is a very good thing for even us Catholics to be able to, to understand what it means. Absolutely. We're chatting with Brian Topham of Quest for Faith with Brian on YouTube. Talking about church authority. More to come right after this. Stay tuned. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. And uh, we're here with Brian Topham of Quest for Faith with Brian. I was chatting with Richard over the break on, uh, you know, texting back and forth. Yeah, Mattathias is... Mattathias, yes. Yeah, yeah. it was one of those words that is like, it sounds so close to that, but I wasn't sure if that was right or not, so I had to look it up. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, if I... I, I know, uh, hopefully I don't derail you, but I no. have a question, though. You know, Church of Christ believes in patternism, that uh, the New Testament... It lays out a pattern that we were to follow as far as reconstructing the early church. You have the Council of Jerusalem, which is very important. In fact, like so much of the New Testament, in some ways, is connected with the issues involved in that. Do, do, you know, how does that fit in with patternism? Do Church of Christ see church councils as a pattern? No. And I think this... So... I think one thing that's steeped in in a lot of Protestants, but especially Church of Christ, is anything that smells or sounds Catholic, they run they want to run from. And so, you know, I, I had this question b- before with not not only just the Council of Jerusalem, where they all got together and, and decided something, but also um, with um, with uh, last rites, praying, you know, anointing uh, the sick. Why don't we do that anymore? Well, that's weird. Um, there's all these things in there. Confession, you know, confess your sins to one another. It, like I, I've heard that my whole life, but I've never seen or heard of any functionality whatsoever uh, within a Church of Christ where people are actually confessing their sins to one another. Hmm. Um, and I think you know when you start looking at the bind and loosing of the church in different uh, verses, it's like they kind of just skip over that. Um, and it's, it's a little troublesome, but it's kind of, I hate, like, don't get me wrong. If you're Church of Christ listening to this, I know there's very faithful, um, strong Christians in the Church of Christ, but it's kind of like they, they do the cafeteria, uh, uh, Christianity thing on some of this, um, to say that the Bible says everything we need to know, 
but we're going to ignore this stuff. And I think that happens in a lot of Protestant churches, not just Church of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just curious because um, it seems like some things they, they say is part of the pattern, other things not, but I never really got a grasp on what's the criteria to determine whether it's part of the pattern or it's not part of the pattern. I, I think it is could be a little bit better explained than just being anti-Catholic, but I think it's near that. <laughs> like, if it, yeah, probably. It's good you know, because they got rid of all the creeds. They got rid of all that stuff when they started. Um, and so uh, they tried to go down to bare bones. And, well, they do confession. We're not doing confession. That's Catholic. Like, we'll just skip that verse and, 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 yeah. and move on. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably... That's probably where it stems from, and I doubt a Catholic theologian today or a Church of Christ theologian today would even say that out loud. Some might. I, my my nana would. Uh, but I think if you were looking at somebody that was actually like teaching in one of the Bible schools, they probably wouldn't say that. But right, yeah. I mean, it's because obviously it can't. The whole thing can't be a pattern, right? Because you don't have a figure in your ecclesiology like Paul who's going on a mission and writing letters and correcting you. And, you know, uh, you can't re reproduce it exactly. So you have to say, okay, that was for the early church. Yep. Here's the pattern we're supposed to follow. And, and I think they would probably say that with the Council of Jerusalem because it was the apostles. So everybody has to listen to the apostles. But now that they're gone— that authority's gone, and now it's up to each individual church. Oh. Um, just, the, I think that's how they would probably try and explain it out. You know, if you're because they don't believe in apostolic succession. So, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I hope I didn't derail your thought, yeah. but that was something I always wondered about because it seems so prominent in the New Testament, and uh, you would think it would be part of the pattern, but. Yeah, and, and even more so with when you're talking patterns, and this is, um, again, when you're talking about church authority, um, just the whole structure of, of Christ's church, yeah, that, it's, that it's based off the, the kingdom of David, right? And, and that you have, uh, you have 12 representatives of the tribes of Israel, and one of them is selected to be the prime minister, and when, he, when the king is out fighting wars— uh, for you in the summer, he's there to run the kingdom. And that's what we have with the Catholic Church. And it spells it out perfectly when you're looking at um, Matthew 16, when Peter's given the keys to the kingdom, and he has the authority to bound and loose. And then you look at Isaiah 22, 22, and the, the new prime minister of Israel is given the keys to the kingdom. And what doors he opens shall remain open, and what doors he closes will remain closed. And it's just all right there in scripture, just plain as day, this idea of authority. And, um, and I, I had to gig I, a few years ago, uh, I was talking with my dad and we were, he, I don't know how we got onto this, but he brought up that, um, uh, verse in Matthew 18, uh, starting in 15, uh, uh, verse 15, and the binding of loosing of sins, right? And it says if a, if a brother sins, uh, sins against you, uh, meet with him in private. If he doesn't listen, bring two or three more. If he doesn't listen there, bring him to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, then you excommunicate him, right? So the church, 
And I remember he, I was, at this point when we were having this conversation, I was, I was in this process of, uh, of looking into the Catholic Church, not telling anyone yet. And I remember when he's like, yeah, you know, the church, should, you should, you, they go to the church. And in my head, I'm like, which church? And it's yeah, so, right. it's just all over scripture. Yeah. Yeah. My, well, my friend El Cresta, um, he was an evangelical minister. And he actually excommunicated someone within his church because they were committing adultery. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, and uh, I don't know, there was a problem with him repenting and things like that. So he said, look, you know, until you get your act straight, you can't be in church leadership. So they leave. And he goes to another evangelical church down the road, and he's in ministry over there. Yeah. You know, it's like, and that got the, the gears moving for L that, you know, something's just not right. Why is it that, you know, we're being biblical here, but you could just shop to whatever church will accept you and, you know, and still follow the Bible, right? Yeah, and, I, and I've heard of that happening before, even in Church of Christ, with people being excommunicated. They, they wouldn't call it that, but um, mm -hmm. I've heard— I never saw it in any of the congregations I went to, but I did hear of that from other Church of Christ uh, churches where they would kick somebody out because there was an affair going on between members, and um, and so they kicked them out because of that or, or things like that. But um, yeah, it, it is it is problematic to say the least if there's no overarching authority that's governing um, our belief structure that you can just hop to another church, and I think. You know, the, the magisterium and the infallibility of the church's teachings is just so key to our faith. And and we can have our differences. We can have our quarrels. We can love the Latin Mass and not like the Novus Ordo. We can, you know, we can have these debates back and forth. Um, but when you look at the, um, the teaching uh, of the magisterium and, and thinking through that Christ said that he's always going to be with us and he's never going to leave the church. We can have faith in what, what comes out of the church in, in the infallible statements through the magisterium or, or a possible infallible statement from, from the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like you said, that's why it's important for us to know all the particulars, you know, to know what exactly is official teaching, what is not official teaching, what's binding, what's not binding. You know what I mean? And, yeah, uh, the different levels of authority, things like that, uh, which I think most Catholics are totally unaware of. Yeah, and you know, there, and I kind of for for those that aren't aware of it, I want you to think about it, kind of like how in America we there's things the president says that we don't have to do, and there's things that he says that we have to do because he's doing it within his authority, and it's the same thing in the church. So if uh, the Pope uh, comes out and says, you know, um, I don't think any Catholic should vote for X candidate, whatever that is. He's not using his authority as the uh, uh, his proper authority in that. We don't have to listen to that. But if he comes out and he's teaching uh, X catheter, isn't, it, isn't that what the phrase is? Yeah, yeah X catheter, cathedra. And, um, and speaking from the chair of Peter— um, yeah, then we do have to listen. But the crazy thing is that I think a lot of people don't understand with this 
is it can't go away, go against any formal teachings of the church in the past. It can't change things. It can only deepen it at this point. And so the longer we go on, the less room you have to wiggle, if you look at it that way. Because you really have anything that comes out, it has to line up with all the former teachings of the church that were dogmas, right? It has to line up with Scripture. It's got to line up with the New and Old Testament. It all has to be in a line and in, in um, community with each other and to be an infallible teaching. And so we can have faith in that because that is hard to do. You can't mess it like to, it's easy to mess that up. And it's really hard to come up with a new teaching that isn't scripture and isn't Christ-like that's going to seem to align with everything. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. And we've had close calls in church history, right? And, you know, and God's providential hand is always there. So it's... Uh, you know, uh, it's part of really. I think it's connected to your faith in Christ. If if Christ is who He claims to be, and He did establish the church, then certainly He would not have the church go off the rails, right? Right. It's yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I think you're absolutely right, and I think there's pure evidence that Christ is with the Catholic Church because it's still in existence. Like, yeah, right. we as human organizations can't last maybe 500 years right like we end up screwing something up and we've tried really hard with the catholic church and we're still here yeah exactly exactly we're chatting with brian topham of quest for faith with brian talking about church authority more to come right after this now back to hands-on apologetics with gary machuda Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Brian Topham of Quest for Faith with Brian on YouTube. Brian, as always, you know, I'm going to throw you way off of where you want to go. But, you know, I was thinking during the break, uh, it's really important to remember that the church's infallibility is based on Christ's infallibility. And, uh, you know, I'm always thought, I always think of the episode where Christ is sleeping on the cushions in the boat. And his disciples say, Lord, you know, don't you care? We're perishing, right? We're taking on water. And, you know, on an earthly level, I totally get it, right? They're right. there and they're going to die. And so, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. On the other hand, you know, they should have known if Jesus really is the son of God and the Messiah, he's not going to die in a boating accident, right? You don't have to wake him up. Uh, you're pretty safe, right? <laughs> But, you know, in, in many ways, that's kind of the situation we're in today because we have these giant waves. And, and you know, God's like you said, the church is filled with corruption, and yet it still survives. Yeah, and I love that. I love the apostles and their, their human reaction to Christ. You know, um, there's so many great, uh, great uh, scriptures in there where you see them do something stupid, and you're like, yeah, that'd be me. You know, and Peter all the time with his big mouth— uh, Throughout the scriptures, <laughs> um, just speaks to me. Uh, it's like, yep, that's me. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, you know, we we need to have faith in Christ and faith in His church and and, and faith in His teachings. And that yes, we do have a church that has um, the weeds and and the shaft, right? 
that we're going to have have wolves in in the church and we're going to have sheep and we're going to have we're going to have all of that but that's part of being human and the by the grace of god he's always with us he's always going to guide us in the right direction if we're seeking him and that is the that is the the thing we need to hang all our hope on is christ and not 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 the popes not the bishops yes they are called to be leaders and they are all called to to teach us the faith and show us the faith but our our ultimate uh hope needs to rely on christ yeah yeah absolutely ultimately that's what we're going to be judged on right and uh not whether or not something happens somewhere else in the church especially with uh, people who you know, it's uh, as laity, we have our station, and clergy has their station, and they'll be judged in accord with their station, and we'll be judged according to ours. So we kind of have to make sure our house is kept clean, right? Yeah. Regardless of what happens in the world. Yeah, and you just you just kind of reminded me when I was thinking about this. Uh, I've forgotten about it today, but um, this this idea of authority in a structure is part of natural law. You know, you look at any pack of wolves, there's an alpha male, there's a beta male, there's, they have, there, you look at gorillas, it's the same thing. You look at humans, no matter how, what group we are, there's always a leader of the group. There's always the support guy. And I think, um, God embedded that in us in natural law that we're going to have a structure. We're going to have a leadership. We're going to have, um, and he knew that was in us. And so giving us his church and the physical structure and the diaconate and the, and the priests and the bishops and the, and the cardinals and the Pope, it's, it's what we need as humans. We just need that. And I think it's just a beautiful thing when you're looking at the overall authority and, um, and, and just the way we naturally do things. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, now that I totally derailed your thought for the third segment, uh, where would you like to pick up on uh, church authority? Well, I, we were kind of we were kind of hitting on it. What I was thinking, okay. actually, so I think we we're on the same wavelength because I was thinking about um, yeah, I was thinking about the syn- the synod on synodality, right? Uh-huh. And how everybody's freaking out, talking about what it might be, and what's what are they going to try and do, and. I think one thing to, to remember, and even I'm just thinking of those bishops in Germany, right, that uh, have agreed to bless same-sex marriages. And the Catholic Catechism I was reading in here, um, uh, let me see here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, in paragraph 883, the college or the body of bishop has no authority unless it's united with the Roman plaintiff. Mm-hmm. That's pretty shocking. Right? I mean, it's, it shouldn't be shocking to us, but I, I guess that should be comforting to us, right? So if we have an errant group of bishops, and they're not in line with the Pope, and they're not in line with, with the magisterium and church teachings, they don't have the authority to do any of that. And and again, it's it's like one of those things that Christ set this church up. He set this up for us to protect us. This is our our, our counterbalances. Um, to help to help us with our stupidity as man, and I th- I think uh, you know go ahead, anyone listening read the catechism. Uh, uh, I think it starts in when it's doing through uh, eight seventy five uh, paragraph eight seventy five on 
Um, it's a lot of great stuff about church authority and the popes and and the bishops um, that'll really kind of help ease your mind and let you understand where their authority lies and where it doesn't. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, throughout church history, there's been local councils that taught heresy, did some pretty wicked acts. Um, but you know what? We don't follow those councils because they, they never were adopted by the Supreme Pontiff and made part of church law. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think even when you're thinking about papal infallibility, the rarity of that to happen is amazing. And I actually, that shocked me when I found that out, um, is how rare it happened. And I'm just thinking of if the, if this was not a godly institution and the Pope was not um, guided by Christ and the Holy Spirit, man, there'd be so many papal infallibilities that would be found over the centuries. Um, when you think about 2,000 years of church history, and there's two um, with that uh, that fit the criteria, that's amazing. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, it's only a handful. And uh, where you act autonomously, autonomously, it's also a handful only in terms of you know ecumenical councils, right? Where the whole church, the bishops of the whole church meet along with the supreme pontiff and affirm something is true. That doesn't happen very often either. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, a synod is not an ecumenical council either. You know, yeah. it's, quite, it's quite low on the, the uh, totem pole. But it is, you know, it is important, though. Yeah, it is important. And, and I look at this as, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, it is low in that totem pole, and it's not, I might be frustrated. I might be annoyed with what I'm hearing, but until it happens, we don't know what's going to happen. And honestly, as 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 many alarms are being sounded in uh, the Catholic sphere, um, half the time it ends up being okay. You know, um, <laughs> it, it's a it's a lot of of bark and very little bite. And sometimes there's some things that we're like, oh. But most of the time, it's we gotta we got we just have to believe that Christ is leading the church and it's Christ's authority that is working through our bishops and the Pope. Yeah. And it could be God's will that there's a huge bump in the road that shakes up the church, you know. So um, even even if there is trouble that that occurs, you have to have faith that you know in God's providence that somehow He's going to bring out a, a greater good that could not oh, yeah. have been brought about. So again, it's kind of like Jesus asleep in the boat, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I even think of Saul going to Damascus, right? Like that was a massive bump in the boat that Christ brought him, blinded him, brought him to his knees. Yeah. And then look what he did. Right. And you, let's act like Saul's the church. And, you know, he only lived X amount of years. That could have been, you know, 100 years of church history, maybe that he was blind. Right. I'm just paralleling it here. But then the outcome of that was unbelievable. And Christ always has a plan for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's I encourage Catholics to learn church history because, you know, in our minds we think that the early church was pure and pristine and ordered, and today is a mess and it's the worst time in history. There's things in church history that make your hair stand on it. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. so bad. Uh, you know, and I think that's comforting, you know, that if we could survive that, we could survive anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, hey, Brian, uh, we're coming up to the end of the show, believe it or not. Um, 
And I always want to give a couple of minutes at the end for the guests to tell us what's cooking on their ministry, what's going on in their life. Uh, so tell us, what's up at uh, Quest for Faith with Brian? Yeah, so I, a few weeks ago, I think, maybe I was on last time I did this, but I did an interview and published it with Steve Ray. That was really great. Um, I'm, I'm, when he settles down again, I think he's going to come back on. We're going to have a discussion about Mary. Um, I did interview a, uh, seminarian and just at talking with him, what it's like to, to go to, go into seminary and what's the day to day life like, how do you apply, um, kind of all those ins and outs. And so that was a great interview. Um, I am gonna, I'm working on a video on just why I picked the Catholic church over the Orthodox church. Um, and again, it kind of lands with church authority, which is why I was thinking of this topic. <laughs> Um, right. and so, yeah, just a lot of stuff going on. I think I, I'm lining up one or two other interviews, um, of people that, uh, um, uh, have a few other channels out there. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. Um, and just, uh, if, if personal life could slow down and I could focus on it more, I'd be pumping out a ton more videos, but you know, yeah. I got to go with my calling as a dad first. So <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, summer's coming to a close. Hopefully things will settle down a little bit more in, in the top of my household and, and you'll be able to do the great work that you're doing on uh, YouTube. So again, wh what's the name of the program working? They get a hold of it or access it. Yeah, so just go on YouTube and Quest for Faith with Brian uh, is my channel. And so you can just search that in the top and I'll come up um, uh, on there. And so, yeah, I think I'm over 100 videos now. Um, so just slowly pumping them out over, uh, I think I'll, yeah, I'll be a three years will be in November that I've had my channel. So wow, just, just slowly growing it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, yeah. you know, it's the quality is great. And of course, your insights, uh, I love it. It's, it's a unique perspective. And uh, and you're so good with interviewing guests too, you know. Thank you. You, you interact with them very well, and it's just a great program. Plus, uh, you know, it's fun. Like I said, there's nothing more exciting than explaining defending the faith. So, no. yeah, and it was great today. I had to tell my boss I had a hard stop at one because I had to get on your show. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, that's good. And you honored it too. So, yep, that's yep. God for that. We appreciate it. Yeah, so, uh, well, um, yeah, Quest for Faith with Brian, folks. Let's go on the channel. Let's blow it up. Uh, let's subscribe, like, tell your friends. Let's help our brother in the Lord uh, reach more people. And so, Brian, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you once again, Gary. I appreciate it. All right. Brian Topham. Yeah, great discussion and great channel, too. So I, I'm serious about that. Check it out, folks. And coming up next, talk about great shows. We have the Terry and Jesse show coming up next. High Impact Catholic Talk. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do this thing we call hands-on apologetics. Bye-bye, everyone. Have a great weekend.